John chapter 5 and verse 19. John chapter 5 and verse 19. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. The words verily, verily are always indicative of a profound announcement. Our Lord is explaining to his enemies his true status. And he says, the Son can do nothing of himself. Now, the Lord by that does not mean that he has some kind of incapacity. But he is in fact saying quite the opposite. He is asserting that because he is fully God, he can only do that which the Father himself does. He can only act according to his unity of nature with God the Father. He is therefore able to exert exactly the same sovereign power as the Almighty Father God in heaven. Now the Lord has just miraculously healed a man who has been lame for 38 years. He has made him to walk. Now this has actually angered the Jewish leaders. And their malice towards him has been increased. Precisely because in front of them he has called God his father. We see in verse 17, he refers to my father. And so, the Lord here, by calling God his father, is actually making a claim to deity himself. By calling himself God's son, the Lord is asserting that he possesses God's nature. He's not just saying, I am a son of God, as a true believer could say. But he is saying, I am the son of God. He is asserting that he possesses the nature, character and essence of God the Father. He declares that he has come down from heaven, from the Father, and possesses a oneness of essence and being with his heavenly Father. So here is a human being living on the earth, claiming to be fully God. Not just claiming to be a prophet but claiming to have the very nature of God. 
The scribes and Pharisees rightly perceived the term Son of God. Uh, notice that the Lord here in verse 19 calls himself the Son. And so the scribes and Pharisees perceive that term to be a claim to deity. However, they do not accept that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, is from God. Their personal view of this man wants to push that idea away. Because if they did accept that this man was truly the Son of God, they would have to humble themselves before him. They would have to acknowledge the truthfulness of the Lord's verdict upon the corruption of their own hearts. They would have to confess their unworthiness before this rabbi from Galilee. And they do not want to admit that they are unworthy and full of sin. They are proud religious people. So when they are confronted with the Holy God manifested in human form, they refuse to recognise him for who he really is. And by rejecting Jesus Christ as the Son of God, they are in fact rejecting God the Father also. And it is so important that we grasp this. Reject Jesus Christ for who he says he is, the very Son of God, and one rejects God the Father also. Uh, and so this is why uh, any Jew or Muslim today, even though they claim to believe in one God, they reject that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, therefore they cannot be worshipping God the Father. And the same applies uh, to Jehovah's Witnesses and other cults who deny that Jesus is the Son of God. So they cannot be worshipping the Father. And so the Lord says here, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, the Father, these also doeth the Son likewise. And so our Lord explains to those who hate him for his actions, that he can only do what he sees his heavenly Father doing. He can only act in accordance with his Father's perfect will. He is of one essence with the Father. He can do nothing but carry out the perfect will of his Father. Now yes, the Father and the Son are two distinct persons. But they are members of the one undivided Godhead. So the Son could no more not do the Father's will than the Father could contradict his own will. 
It is simply impossible that the Father and the Son could ever do or desire differently from one another. For they are both the one God. Now this is what millions of people cannot understand. They say, how can Jesus and God be one when Jesus, when he was on earth, prayed to his Father? And this is a real stumbling block for Muslims. But the mystery of the Holy Trinity, that there are three persons in one, and that the Son is one with the Father, is a truth which God the Holy Spirit reveals. When God the Father acts, God the Son acts also. Indeed, the Father acts through his Son. This is why the Son is also called the Word of God. Just as a spoken word is the expression of a person's mind, so the Lord Jesus Christ is the Word of God. Because the Father's mind is expressed through him. The Word of God is God speaking to and transacting with men. And all that Jesus Christ does and all that he says perfectly reflects the mind of God. The Father then chooses to deal with men through his Son and no other way. And so throughout the Old Testament period it was God the Son dealing with the Israelites. It was God the Son, it was Christ who led the Israelites through the wilderness. Paul tells us that in 1 Corinthians. And so this teaching about the deity of God the Son, the unity of the Father and the Son is absolutely essential to the Christian faith. It is what distinguishes Christianity from all other religions. Because our prophet is also God. No other religion can say that. But the prophet of Christianity is God. Manifest in the flesh. The one true God has chosen to manifest himself only through his Son. Yet many today would argue that God shows himself to men in various ways and even working through different religions. That is a terrible satanic lie. Because God speaks to men only through his Son. God has so ordered his creation that all knowledge of him 
shall only be obtained through his Son. The Lord Jesus Christ declares, No man knoweth the Father save the Son, and whomsoever the Son willeth to reveal him. This side of heaven, man's knowledge of and communion with God will inevitably know a degree of imperfection. But the Father and the Son have always enjoyed an eternal, perfect communion with one another. They have a perfect knowledge of one another. No man knoweth the Father save the Son. And so this perfect communion of Father and Son is because the Father and the Son are of one essence. They are both fully God. Even though Jesus of Nazareth once walked upon this earth as a man, he is nevertheless one with the Father. And so the chief prophet of the Christian faith is one who is fully divine. The prophet of the Christian faith does not simply point men to God. The message of Jesus Christ is not this is how you find God, but Jesus Christ says, come unto me. And so the call of the gospel is a call to come to Christ because he is God. And during his earthly ministry, though he was fully man, our Lord received worship. If he had been just a prophet, he would not have received worship. And if our Lord was anyone other than the Son of God, he would have been a charlatan and a blasphemer by allowing himself to be worshipped. But he received worship because he was worthy of it. Our Lord healed the sick, not by calling on the Father to do so, but in his own name. This Jesus of Nazareth is the one who created the human body in the first place. He is the one who was at the Father's side when the earth was being created. In other words, Jesus of Nazareth is in fact the creator of all things. And it is God the Son who is being referred to in the Old Testament in Proverbs chapter 8. In a passage in which the eternal wisdom of God is personified. In Proverbs 8 and verse 22, we have 
wisdom speaking. But wisdom speaks not as an abstract concept, but as a person. And this is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking here. Proverbs 8, 22. The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way, before his works of old. And so there was this relationship between the Father and the Son in eternity, before the world was created. And we further read in Proverbs 8 there, I was set up from everlasting, from the beginning, or ever the earth was. So this is God the Son saying he has eternally existed. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water. Before the mountains were settled, before the hills was I brought forth. And then we read... Proverbs 8, verse 29. When he appointed the foundations of the earth, then I was by him, as one brought up with him. This is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. When God the Father created this earth, his Son was by him. As one brought up with him. And I was daily his delight and rejoicing always before him. So the Lord Jesus Christ was there at the creation. Through him the Father expresses his mind and will. Therefore he is called the Word of God. So when God said... Let the earth be created. It was God the Son who was doing the creating work. And so we read at the beginning of John's Gospel. The very first verse. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This speaks of the Eternal existence of God the Son. Further on in John chapter 17 and verse 4. Our Lord states. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now O Father glorify thou me with thine own self with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. John 17, verse 5. The glory which I had with thee before the world was. So our Lord there is declaring that he shared the Father's glory before the world ever existed. So he must be God. Now when at a certain point in history he 
took upon himself human flesh, the fullness of his deity was to some extent obscured. The Lord did take upon himself some of the restrictions of mortal man. He became tired, for example. He became hungry. But he was still fully God. And we see that he plainly says that he participated in his Father's glory even before the world was created. And of course we have another wonderful testimony to his eternal relationship just a little further on here in, in John chapter 8 and verse 58. John 8 verse 58. And we need to remember all these verses when we're speaking to Muslims, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons and so on. Because they deny the deity of Christ. John 8 verse 58. The Lord says, Verily, verily, I say unto you. Note that word verily again. This is a profound announcement. Before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And so there our Lord uses a title of God the Father, I am. Now when did Abraham exist? Uh, well, he, he was alive around 2,000 years before the Lord was born as a man in Bethlehem. But the Lord says, before Abraham was, I am. So this is a statement of his pre-existence, his eternal existence, before his incarnation. And so throughout the Old Testament period, it is God the Son who has always been the means of God's revelation to man. Uh, it was Abraham who uh, met the Son of God. The Son of God appeared to Abraham as an angel. He is the Word. He is the wisdom of God. He is the mind of God. He is God communicating to men. The Apostle Paul helps us to understand this in Colossians 1 and verse 15. Where Paul says of God the Son, he is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of every creature. And so he has a preeminence. The firstborn always has preeminence. And then Paul says this, of God the Son, for by him were all things created, that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. So Paul there declares that 
Jesus Christ is the creator and that he existed before the creation and that he upholds his creation right now. And so this whole universe right now is being held together by God the Son, by Jesus Christ. Philippians 2 verse 6. Paul says of God the Son, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. So our Lord's incarnation, his being born as a man, was in fact a veiling an obscuring of the fullness of his heavenly glory. But his deity nevertheless remained in his manhood. He was fully God and fully man at the same time. And the Lord Jesus Christ is now in heaven at the Father's right hand as both Fully God and fully man. The Lord says in verse 20 here. For the Father loveth the Son and showeth him all things that himself doeth. Here again the Lord stresses his perfect union with his Father. Or that the Father does is revealed to the Son. Now no man could make that claim, no mere man. God does not tell us everything that he's going to do. But he does to his Son. Now there was a special manifestation of the union between the Father and the Son at our Lord's baptism. We read of this in Luke 3 and verse 21 where we are told that Jesus also being baptised and praying the heaven was opened and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him and a voice came from heaven which said Thou art my beloved Son in thee I am well pleased. Now that was at the beginning of our Lord's ministry. A voice from heaven, the voice of the Father declares, Thou art my beloved Son. He came down to do his Father's will. He was empowered by the Spirit beyond measure to do that. So the mind, will and purpose of the Father and the Son are perfectly one. They form a whole. Everything that the Son does is the working out of the Father's perfect will. So this great healing miracle at the pool of Bethesda, which is the subject of the earlier part of chapter 5, it is the work 
of God the Father through his Son. The Father heals by giving his Son the power to heal. The Father and the Son are one, not only in their being, but also in their works. John 3, verse 34. John the Baptist says, For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hand. The Father hath given all things into the hands of the Son. So our Lord was perfectly filled and controlled by God the Holy Spirit. His manhood perfectly reflected the image of God in which man was first created. And this is why our Lord is also referred to as the second Adam. Because he is the perfect representative man. Utterly without sin. But he's not just a man. Because the Father empowers him to do the mighty works that the Father himself does. And the Lord goes on in verse 20 here. And the Father will show the Son greater works than these, that ye may marvel. The Father will show the Son greater works than these, that ye may marvel. The Son will do even more powerful deeds than this healing of the lame man, the man who had been unable to walk the last 38 years. Well, God the Son, this man Jesus of Nazareth, he's going to do greater works than that healing miracle. And that was a great work. Because this man is going to even raise the dead. In fact, he will even raise himself from the dead. And he will even raise from the dead all mankind on the great last day. Such power over life and death is the prerogative of God alone. But Jesus of Nazareth possesses this prerogative because the Father has bestowed it upon him. And the Lord goes on in verse 21 here. For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. To quicken is to make alive. When during his earthly ministry, our Lord raised from the dead the widow of Nain's son, Jairus' daughter, and then Lazarus, this was but an emblem of his power to give all men everlasting life, to raise up their bodies, and to cause them to live forever. When our Lord raised from the dead those three persons during his earthly ministry, they would all physically die again. 
when he returns to this earth as judge of all, he will raise from the dead all who have believed in him so that they will never die again. And so the Lord declares in this verse 21, the Son quickeneth whom he will. The Son gives life to whoever he desires to give life to. He will not raise up to everlasting life all men without exception. Many will be raised up to everlasting damnation. The Son only gives life to whom he will, on his terms and his conditions, namely repentance from sin and faith in him. Those only will be raised up who in this earthly life have been born again, having believed in Christ for salvation. And so, the Son will give life. He will quicken whom he will. Those who meet his requirements. Those who have turned from sin and trusted in him. Them will he give new life to. And again we see the uniqueness of the Son and his relationship to the Father in verse 22. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. So the Father carries out his work of judgment through his Son. That is how the Father has chosen to work. The Father has not chosen to work independently of his Son. And again, uh, this is where other religions fall down. Because they try and bypass the Son. But the Father only works through his Son. And all judgment has been committed by the Father to the Son. And so every single person who has ever lived will have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We read in Matthew 25, verse 31, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations. And he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. It is the Son who is going to make this separation. It is the Son who is going to declare who is saved and who is lost. And so we have to appreciate the unique exaltation of God the Son. And this is why the Lord says in Verse 23, that all men should honour the Son, even as they honour the Father. He that honoureth not the Son, honoureth not the Father which hath sent him. So all other religions, including those which claim that there is only one God, are not worshipping God the Father. 
because they bypass God the Son. And those who do not honour the Son as God cannot honour the Father. The Quran claims that it is impossible for God to have a son. But Jesus Christ says, if you do not honour the son, you are not worshipping the father. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6, God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So we discover what the Father is really like in the face of Jesus Christ. The same Christ who created this world alongside the Father at the beginning of time. And so God the Son is the creator of the universe and he is also the one who accomplishes the new creation in the hearts of all who turn from sin and trust in him Peter once said to our Lord to whom shall we go thou hast the words of everlasting life if men desire salvation and eternal life. There is nowhere else to go but to Jesus Christ. And if we look at John 14, verse 9, what could be a plainer statement than this? John 14, verse 9, He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. The Lord Jesus Christ then is fully God. He is God manifested in the flesh. God the Father cannot be known except through his Son. It is the Son who is doing the work of the Father right now. And it is to the Son to whom all judgment has been committed. Only those who believe in the Son, being cleansed from their sin through his death on the cross, only they will be raised up to everlasting life on the great last day. So our Lord here is expounding his true nature, he is explaining who he really is. He is saying that he is one with the Father. He is saying that he has the same character and nature as the Father. He is saying that he himself is God. And so we have to declare this message to the world today. That Jesus Christ is God manifested in the flesh. And that those who do not honour the Son as being fully divine cannot honour the Father. 
And so our message to this world is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ because there is no other way to God the Father except through faith in God the Son. Amen.